Okay, we're going to the book of Romans this morning. Again, we are on our 12th message already in the book of Romans. And here in chapter number 8, we have made it all the way to verse 15. So I encourage you to join me there. I'm going to read verse 14 and 15 here this morning. And uh, we'll spend our time looking at verse number 15. Romans 8.14 For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Heavenly Father, we have a verse in front of us that should be very dear to our heart. And I pray as we go through this, if, if we haven't contemplated these words carefully, that uh, this time we will. For it speaks of a great love that you have for us. And I thank you, Lord, for it. Help us to understand today, to just relish the love and the kindness you showered upon us. We rejoice in that today, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're working through this chapter, I've labeled it the security of the believer. And I'm showing you in various aspects. This whole chapter is speaking of that. Uh, the great things that God has done for us. Let me remind you that there is very, very little in this chapter that you are told to do something. Usually we come into an epistle and it's loaded with, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. Matter of fact, some of them have verse after verse after verse of those kind of things. This chapter is one that's speaking of what God has done, 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 over and over and over again. And it's just a wonderful place to stop and rest and to know His love for you. I like the word secure. I like that very much. Matter of fact, I even like the word permanent. That's one of my favorite words to think of, is permanent. And there are very few things in this world we can attach it to. Years ago, and still some markers still read permanent on them, permanent markers. Now, how permanent really are they? Well, if you want to know, you could take uh, rubbing alcohol, or you could even go even stronger than that, acetone. We'll just wipe it right off a plastic surface anytime. It's just, that's permanent, right? Permanent marker. Permanent markers. Uh, matter of fact, there are some things you don't want permanent attached to. All right? I won't let you answer what they are, but there are lots of things we don't like the word permanent attached to it. But when we come to a place where we talk about our relationship with the Lord, I love attaching the word permanent to it. This text that we're going to study here, and matter of fact, this chapter does that so often. I think it does us good. It does my heart good to spend time in Romans chapter 8. Some of the sweetest thoughts flood my soul when I learn how God thoroughly loves me. And I was convinced of that years ago, and it seems like he, he keeps piling it on as I... Saturate myself with his word. He tells me over and over how securely he has made this relationship. 
It's one I think we need to just bask in it and enjoy what he says. There are different ways I could approach verse number 15 today. Uh, I thought through several of them and decided to just throw them all at you. Because it was hard to say which one was this way or which one was that way. I thought, well, I'll just put them all together and I'll just use it that way. Um, because each one is very rich in its meaning. See, when, when Paul writes this, and nearly every translation out there reads the same way, there are some variants in, in a text you might have, but you would read in verse 15, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. In that, I have four things. Each of those could stand for one sermon, by the way. I said, no, let's do it this way. Four points this morning I'm going to walk you through. And believe it or not, I found a P for every one of those. A highly unusual situation here, folks, that I've done this. But we're going to first look at the great purpose for Paul writing this verse. The great purpose for Paul writing this verse. Second, the great change of position he mentions the great change of position, the great place of permanence for us, the great place of permanence for us, and the great privilege of expression as well. The great privilege of expression. This purpose I speak of, it starts with the word for. You don't start sentences like that unless you have a reason. <laughs> Something Previously said, it leads you to say for, and that's where Paul begins with the reason for his previous thought. His previous thought in verse 14, we spent time in it last week, about how the Spirit of God leads us, proving that we are indeed sons of God. Maybe you were surprised at the way he leads. Maybe you thought that his leading was just designated for the super elite you know, upper crust, top shelf kind of Christian. We associate a few people in that category, and we say, well, that's the one the Lord really leads. But in our study of the words, we saw last week, if you are a child of God, you are being led. And sometimes that can be rather aggressive. But the Spirit does lead, He does guide, He does walk alongside us, He does grab us by the hand, he does yank, he does pull, he does stop, and even drags us at times. But he does lead. And that's what I like to stress, especially this morning. A lot of ways you could describe, describe his leading, but the fact is, he will lead you. He will lead you. He will always lead you. And he won't quit until you are a copy of Christ. That's his work. That's what he does. He leads us. And I do find great comfort in those words. I don't know about you. Even in the dragging, I appreciate it. Because that shows his love for me. That's the purpose of God. <laughs> it won't be thwarted by somebody like me. It won't be thwarted by somebody like you. This is the way he works. And that's a great purpose that Paul brings forward here as he starts in verse 15, For you have not 
receive the spirit of slavery leading again to, to fear. Now, I'm going to say something very carefully, all right, because I, I know studies and I know New Testament thoughts and words and such like that. I'm going to say it this way. God's purpose is not to make you his slave, but his son. Are there those who understand that they're slaves of Christ? Yes. Paul said it especially. I'm a bond slave of the Lord. Uh, I am his servant. We have so many verses I know that say that and say that and say that. And that's great. That's an understanding we come to. As we mature in our walk with him, we understand him. Back up previous verses, we are debtors to him. And that too we come to understand. That we are his debtor. But here's what his purpose is. In this verse, he says it specifically. I am not making you a slave. I made you my son. And that's why we're going to stop with it just like that. I know the thought might surprise you a little bit just to say that. But God's purpose is not to have you his slave, but his son. That's what the verse is speaking about in this passage. You have received a spirit of adoption as sons. He said in verse number 9, you belong. Those who do not have the spirit, those who are not led by the spirit, verse number 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. But if you do have the spirit of Christ, guess what? You belong to him. And much more than that, I would add this. In verse number 10, Christ is in you. And in verse number 11, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. Those are great words. Very comforting words to hear. These speak of what He has made us. By virtue of the fact that the Holy Spirit is leading you, we just saw last week, you are sons of God. You are sons of God. So there's no surprise at all that this is His purpose. His purpose is, you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. That's a big four that he was leading to, so we can understand it. It's because you are sons. You are sons. Some of you said, but what about daughters? Okay. I understand. This is the term they used. It was a big general term they used when they were speaking of groups of people. They would label it in this way. But you are sons. You are sons. Hold your place here for a minute. I want to show you a really neat section. You already know it, but it's in John chapter 1, and it's verse number 12. This, this is just a wonderful little verse here. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, you did, didn't you? Yeah, a couple of you. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right. Great word, exousia. Doesn't that sound powerful? Exousia. That's the word for authority. It's the word for jurisdiction. It's the word for uh, the power to act. It's even a word used for liberty. The liberty to do something. He gave them the right. 
And if you received him, he gave you the right, the authority, the jurisdiction, even the liberty to do what? To become children of God. He said, well, what do you mean become? Become. That, that's a, a neat little Greek word. It means to assume the character of. To, to take on the appearance of. He gave you his authority to take on his character. To take on his appearance to those who believe in his name. In other words, through faith in Christ, you have the authority to wear his name. The authority to wear his name, his righteousness, has the authority to wear his character. That's quite a picture, if you stop and think about it. Very, very uh, uh, insufficient kind of comparison here, but picture it this way. Say that you know somebody with a great amount of, of wealth, and they put your name on their checkbook. Some of you smiled all of a sudden. It's a great idea. But you have the authority to sign that, even though it belonged to somebody else. Here, something far greater. His name. His character. His righteousness. His salvation. All these things that are true of Him, He gave us, who believe, the right to it. Children of God. That's what it says. The right to have it. You see, that's the purpose that Paul's addressing here in Romans chapter 8. And I think we need to get it straight in our minds so we could follow through with all that he has to share with us on how secure this relationship is. He's called you his son. How more secure do you need it? This is his purpose. He's accomplished that. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you are his children. You see, that leads to a position, doesn't it? Matter of fact, a big change of position from what we were before. And this verse does point out a change. He does not give us a spirit of slavery leading to fear. If you have received such a spirit, you did not get it from him. He did not give that. You did not receive that from Him. Some people wrestle with this passage. I've read all the commentaries that I, I could stomach almost with this concept. They're wrestling, is this the Holy Spirit? Or is this uh, a disposition, an attitude kind of spirit? And They've been debating that for years, and I'm not going to solve it for them today. I tend to think that when I look at this verse, that he might be looking at uh, our response to what he has done, our response to it. Perhaps there are those, even as believers, who fight against the Spirit's leadership. Have you ever noticed this? When you're not walking in fellowship with the Lord, and that's a rare thing, right? When you're not walking in fellowship with the Lord, you start to look at his ways as hard, as somewhat strict, as, as difficult. And we, we fight against it in our flesh, don't we? we? We walk in such a way that we start to think, you know, boy, is he a dictator. 
boy, is he a, he's like a slave master. He's so hard to work with. Why, there's no wiggle room to be what I want to be. <laughs> Ever been there? Where you struggle with these things? Sometimes we rightly deserve the leash. Sometimes we rightly deserve the restraints because we're prone to wander. We turned his loving acts toward us into personal prisons. We start to view it as if God has put bars around us and, and we're limited in all these different ways. Matter of fact, sometimes he gets so ingrained in that mentality, we become self-righteous in it. And we allow bitterness to spring up in our thinking. Now that's one side of a, of a group of people who, they're not in fellowship with the Lord, and, and they're going to look at God's care for them, God's discipline in their life as a harsh thing. Then there's another group who goes quite the other extreme with these kind of things. And when they see the spirits leading in their life, uh, they start to get prideful of that. And they start to show off a little bit in their behavior. And, and what they show is their righteousness and not his righteousness. And if you let that grow, guess what you become? You become more of the rules and regulation kind of person. You become more of those who, who start to measure things by weights and measures and, and you tithe to the smallest of the spices. You know who I'm describing? That's what Jesus confronted the Pharisees on. How they would, would make bondage of others. They would bring slavery into their lives as if it's fashionable. And it's what righteousness is supposed to be. But he labeled it well. He said, they do that to be seen of men. To be seen of men. The Spirit does not lead you there either. He does not lead you down that road. You're on that road. He didn't put you there. You see, his companionship is not to induce fear. It is not to induce fear, especially when you start thinking of fears like failure, fears of rejection, fears of separation. Uh, most people have phobias. We call them that. They have a fear of this or a fear of that. We have, you know, fear of water, fear of heights, fear of uh, thunderstorms, fear of snakes. Snakes fear people in this town because they know if they're in the road, they're in trouble. But there's fear of all kinds of things that we, we, we set in our minds. And what we do with those fears is we take the big step back away from them. We don't go there because we're afraid. We don't go there because we're afraid. We don't do that because we're afraid. We start listing fears. We do that with relationships, don't we? We don't have that relationship. We won't take that step. We won't do, that's a risk factor. That, that could be failure. That could be something that lets us down. It could hurt a great deal. He is leading us, we just read, in verse 14. And sometimes we're stubborn. <laughs> sometimes we don't follow very well. Sometimes we think that our relationship is in jeopardy. All right? You see, this is not where he has led you to fear again. He leads to faith. 
That's a radical change in what he has done. Fear is what we knew before Christ. John says in his epistle, perfect love casts out fear. What kind of love did he give to you? Would you call it perfect? I would. Perfect love casts out fear. God did not give us the spirit of fear. He changed us. And that's what the text is pointing out very clearly. He has made a huge change in our life. I love the way Charles Wesley put it down in a song. And you know the song very well. He asked this question. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? That He would die for me? Who caused His pain? For me! Who had Him pursue death? He left His Father's throne above. So, so freely did He do that. So infinite was His grace that He emptied Himself of all but love. And bled for Adam's helpless race. That's mercy. All the way through. It's mercy immense. It's free. And wow, God, it found out me. Because I was laying in a prison. Fast bound in my sin. And nature's night. And your eye saw me. It diffused that ray that woke me up. And my dungeon filled with light and my chains fell off and I was free and I rose up and I went forth and I followed thee no condemnation I now dread Jesus and all in him is mine alive in him and he in me and clothed in righteousness divine I approach the eternal throne boldly and claim the crown through Christ my own. What kind of love do you call that? The chorus says, Amazing love! How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Do you realize the change he has made? Do you realize when he says, I did not give you a spirit of slavery? Leading to fear again. But I gave you a spirit of adoption. What a difference that is. What a huge difference he has made. He's changed to me. He's, I went from slave to free. I went from enemy to son. I went from dark to light. I went from dead to alive. How much bigger contrast do we need to understand the great position he's put us in? The change he has made. And when he led us to that place, he made it permanent. He made it permanent. It's a great place to be. The place of permanence. Because you have received a spirit of adoption, it says, as sons. Now, look at your text. See if it says this for you. But after it says the phrase, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, do you have the word but? The Greek word A-L-L-A, Allah, is the word. Uh, that is one of the strongest 
words for contrast you could put on the page. It's a powerful little word. And when I read that little word there and I see its contrast, that little word says everything to me. It says everything to me. He didn't do, but this is what he did. He gave us a relationship with him that's permanent. You want to know how likely it is for this relationship to change? Let me give you two examples to start with. Consider how sure it is when God says something that it's going to stay said. When God promises something, it's going to be kept. When God tells you what's going to take place, it's going to happen. I believe that God's word is true. I believe it's eternal. And I believe what he says, he means. And when Jesus was speaking about God's word, he says it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one stroke of a letter of the law to fail. Earth. We're standing on it. We live on it. It's easier for this to go away than for God's word to fail. Jesus said it again. Luke chapter 21. I, that last one was Luke 16, 17. This is Luke 21, 33. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will not pass away. And then he said it this way in Matthew 5, verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, I've been enjoying teaching a Hebrew class at Cornerstone this year. Something brand new that the school has decided. Let's have Hebrew, too. So I've been teaching a Hebrew class. If you have ever looked at the Hebrew language, you'll find if you look carefully, and trust me, you have to look carefully if you're me, because I have enough trouble with just reading with reading glasses, and then I have to pull out a magnifying glass, too, because... There are letters with the smallest little break between two little lines, and that changes the spelling of a word. And if you change the spelling of a word, you change the meaning of a word. You can move from an H to a CH by missing a little piece of a line. There's a little dot above one little word, or the little dot underneath the word, or a little dot inside of a letter. And you're saying, hmm, if you're not careful of the dots, if you're not careful of the little lines and the little hooks, and everything that you have on these letters, you can have an entirely different word. It's interesting God designed a language that depends on little jots and little pieces and little strokes. And then he comes to a place in time and he says, and guess what? Not one of those little dots or strokes or hooks or anything will pass away. Wow. That's very particular. So when I say God has set up a permanent relationship with you, he said it, how likely is that to go away? Heaven and earth will have to pass away first, folks, before this relationship is changed. Another one you could add to this is in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews 7, let's go over there for a minute. If you turn your page a few, go to uh, verse number 22. He speaks here about the priesthood. He talks about those who, 
who followed the Old Testament system of priests, uh, the priests, they had a high priest, and he was high priest for a certain number of years until he uh, retired or he died, and then his son would take over for him, and it would just pass on from father to son, father to son, father to son, all in the family of Aaron, the high priest. And that was their job. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, you know, some of you have seen an awful lot of them. They've come and they've gone. They've come and they've gone. They've come and they've gone. And the history of Israel is just like that. They've had a lot of priests. And it's kind of hard, you know, to put your trust in somebody who doesn't live forever. But let's see what it says about Jesus. Hebrews 7.22 Much more also, Jesus has become the guarantee of a better covenant. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. That's what New American Standard reads. I like that. And it goes on to say, Therefore, you ready for this? It comes right into your life here. He is able also to save forever, you may have to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through Him. How do I know He can save me forever? I drew near to Him. How do I know it's that secure? It's based on what? Me? No. It's because He ever lives to make intercession for us. I'll say it this way. Your relationship with the Lord is just as secure as Jesus is alive. If he should die again, you're in trouble. But he's not going to. You see, he has based your salvation on his existence. Now, tell me how secure it's starting to feel. It's based on His Word, and not on ours. It's based on His life, not on ours. Now, when I read this in Romans chapter number 8, that He has made us sons by adoption, I started to think, well, how does that fit into the picture? And when you start to Google it and ask questions about the permanence of adoption, some of you already know it. You give a child you adopt legitimacy, permanence, and equality in status as a child of yours. It's a permanent thing. Adoption is a permanent, lifelong commitment to a child. That's what we view it as legally. That's what states would view it as when they set this up in judicial system and so on. But here's what this Romans word says when it says the spirit of adoption it means you've been placed as a son that's the definition of adoption placed as a son placed as a son when did God come up with this idea after he saw you and saw you were such a sweet person he knew you were going to be a a beautiful person and an intelligent person He knew that you'd always be obedient to him. He says, hey, I'm going to pick that one. Now, of course, you know that I just got way into sarcastic land. Because that's not when he chose us. 
Ephesians chapter number 1, verse number 5. He predestined, predestined, that means before destined, before, guess what? You and I were around. He predestined us to adoption as sons. That was before you did anything to deserve it. Before you did anything to grab his attention, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. That was his plan. That was his work to adopt you in such a way. That place of permanence is based on his action, not on ours. His word, not on ours. His existence, not on ours. That's the permanence of this relationship. That's what he set up. And he placed us in this. This, this one man named Mr. Miraville. I, I don't know who he is. I, most commentators bring him up at this point. Because he made one quote, one paragraph that everyone likes to quote. So I'm going to read it to you too so everyone else can hear it. The process of legal adoption by which the chosen heirs become entitled not only to the reversion of the property but to the civil status, to the burdens as well as the rights of the adopter became, as it were, his other self, one with him. This too is a Roman principle, peculiar in the time of the Romans, unknown, I believe, to the Greeks, unknown to all appearances to the Jews, as it certainly is not found in the legislation of Moses, nor mentioned anywhere as a usage among the children of the covenant, we have but a faint conception of the force with which such an illustration would speak to one familiar with the Roman practice, how it would serve to impress upon him the assurance that the adopted sons of God becomes, in a peculiar and intimate sense, one with the Heavenly Father. It speaks of a relationship that's cemented permanently. One with Him. Now, I, I don't know how you choose to respond to such things like that. When you hear such things. Paul gives us a suggestion here at the very last part of the verse. And it's really not very quiet either. He says, For that we cry out, Abba! Father! What is that? That is a privileged expression, folks. A privileged expression. Others may call him God. Others may call him Lord, and they must eventually. But when you call him Savior, you have the right to call him Father. Father. I was reading through some of those commentaries, and a few of them stood up in their, their little uh, straight jackets and ties and things and said, Oh, God should be respected better than this. I'm saying, it's in God's Word. What else do you do with the Word? Abba means Daddy. You say, okay, um, that makes me a little uncomfortable to think that way. Yeah, some people do. You know... In the whole adoption process, sometimes you bring that child home. And then they have to learn new terms, like, what do I call you? Mommy, Daddy, Mother, 
They start coming up with names. How do I, how do I address you? The parents have to learn how to call their child that they just adopted. Whole new concept. They have to come up with words to express to each other. If God has adopted us, we have to, we have the privilege of calling him Father. 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 There's a young man at Cornerstone Bible Institute. Daniel, my son-in-law, is his brother. His name's Jesse. He sees me, he says, Ah! My father-in-law-in-law. That's the way he addresses me, even in class. My father-in-law-in-law. And he signs his paper that way, from your favorite son-in-law-in-law. I said, well, I only got one of those. That's Jesse. What kind of relationship do you have with the father? We call him the father. When's the last time you said my father? When's the last time you addressed him as my father? In that relationship that he's given you the right to claim. That expression. He just gave you to say. And you say, but, but I don't know if I should say it that way. Do you know that even Jesus said it that way? He was in a garden. He was praying in a garden just before his crucifixion. And you'll find it in Mark 14.36. He was saying, Abba, Father, in his prayer. What was he saying? My Father. My, yeah, some people cringe. Daddy. No, it's personal. It was personal. He wasn't just saying, the Father. He was saying, my Father. What a privilege to call him such. Why? Because he's given you a permanent status with him. A position that will never change. Why? Because he's changed your position from one thing of fear to the thing of adoption. Why? Because that's his great purpose that he has fulfilled in us. That we should be called sons of God. That we should be that way. Now, if you're not feeling a little more secure after a glimpse in that little verse, we need to check our hearts. What's missing that we don't see these words and and rejoice in what it says? Dr. S.M. Lockridge used to say in his sermons, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet. I thought, hmm. You have a unique relationship, folks. A unique relationship with God. But you have a secure one, too. And that's what Romans is showing us. I hope that uh, you can rest in that today. I hope you can. Heavenly Father, we come before you so thankful that we could say our Father. You have blessed us far beyond our ability to express, even to comprehend. You have chosen us for a relationship that just startles us to the very core when we think about what you have done in placing us as sons, permanently adopting us 
into this relationship. That's incredible, Lord. That's amazing to us. But it's true. It's true. Today, Lord, you know every heart in this room. And if there's some who have been struggling with this, maybe they've struggled with this past week. Maybe they've, they're struggling even right now. And they're questioning whether or not they do have a relationship with you. They're, they're questioning whether or not you're going to just cast them out because of what just transpired or what kind of uh, following they've been doing or not doing. Lord, show them again your perspective on this relationship. Confirm in their heart how much you love them. Shelter them, Lord, from inaccurate thoughts. Strengthen them with your word that will never perish. To show them, Lord, again, how great a love you, our Father, has bestowed upon us, that we should be called children of God, and such we are. Thank you for what you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.